You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today we are at the Santuario di Castelmonte. Well, Brian, we're coming live from the roadside of the Giro d'Italia for the first time, I think, on this Giro. We're in Cividale del Friuli, and well, we're expecting to see how many riders just hurtling towards the bottom of this final climb to the Santuario di Castelmonte. Yeah, we're seeing the same situation that we've done uh, quite a few times now at the Giro, that there's a, a strong breakaway, a breakaway likely to hold hold it all the way to the finish and we're also joined by Leonardo Piccione who is a member of the three-man troupe who do the official podcast for the Giro d'Italia in Italian we reference them almost every evening Leonardo it's a privilege to have you thank you very much it's a privilege for me to be here what do you expect us to see in just a few minutes not really much actually <laughs> um, I was expecting more from this stage we were on the uh, on the road coming here and it was so beautiful You've been in Slovenia, haven't you? Yes, yes. We stopped there. We had some cevapcici, you know, the sausages. I think you also had some local beer, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, what else? Uh, Yota. Yota is a kind of soup that they make there. It's really, really good. But you told me earlier you've suffered the same malaise, I think, as Richie Port today. Richie Port's already out of the race. He's, well, that leaves Richie Carapaz weakened, exposed. Brian has been talking about the key role that Richie Port was going to play tomorrow that will not be the case anymore but I, I, I understand that you're not feeling too well either Leo <laughs> yes yes so I will not have a big role today in the podcast when we will record it but, so my two colleagues are up on the hill and I hope they will do the most of the job because my stomach is not feeling very well well I'm just looking at a local fan local gentleman here just standing pretty close to us and his tattoos are making me feel slightly nauseous there I won't go into any detail but they're slightly ose they're, they're extensive and they're slightly ose risque yeah it's quite the um, would you quite actually the canvas it? there yeah it's quite the canvas oh, it's quite the canvas they're very uh, they've, they've, it's been filled out to the brim of its possibilities let's just put it that way Brian, it looks like the peloton, what's left of the peloton is approaching, but about eight minutes ago, we saw, what was it, a five-man group heading towards... Yeah, heading towards the top here, this climb in Friuli. We just see now the peloton hammering up the first ramps of the climb. It doesn't look to me like they'll catch the breakaway, but they're definitely going to sort out the main group here. At the tempo they're going right now, a lot of riders will be dropped on early on the climb, I think. It looked as though it was Castro Viejo and Ben Tulio. Of course, Castro Viejo has never been part of a team that didn't win the Giro. I think he's won, he's played two and won two in the Giro. But what a fantastic atmosphere it is here at the bottom of the climb, Chividale. We can hear the helicopter blades whirring above us. The applause, these are some stragglers. Now, Narvaez is there just a few seconds behind the main group. We thought Carapaz might end up isolated on this final climb but it looks as though he has some resources that he can draw on yeah for sure and he, I don't think he would let those guys go to the front and pull at the tempo they're doing right now if he still feels like he needs someone in the more dangerous parts of the last uh, yeah the basically last kilometers of the climb we're going to rush inside the press room we're going to watch the final kilometers and we're going to readjourn we hope in half an hour or so at the team buses when the destiny of this Giro d'Italia might be a little clearer yeah we're definitely on site today Daniel
Brian, where are we? Well, Daniel, we're at a small bar just at the roundabout where the teams are parked. Uh, some, say, 10 kilometers from the top of the last climb today. Yes, Brian. And unfortunately, we've been shut out, haven't we, of the team parking, which is happening quite a lot on this Giro d'Italia. The COVID rules, to a certain extent, are still in place, although they're a bit ad hoc, aren't they? Today, we can't get in. Um, so we've got a lovely view of the, of the roundabout where all of the riders are... Well, they're just entering the team parking area. We followed Vincenzo Nibali back, didn't we, down the, oh, so the last So followed us, if anything. Right, yeah, followed us. Brian, Brian made a lovely video, home video, that might go live later on. But Brian, it's very hot here, isn't it? Um, it was an intense stage. It was a stage very much in the vein of what we've seen so far in this Giro, as far as the general classification is concerned, with really nothing to choose between Hindley, Landa and Carapaz. And we called them the three tenors yesterday or the day before and well tomorrow we're going to have the mother of all karaoke battles aren't we on the Paso Fidaya. We should also mention of course that Kern Baumann who is enjoying well the race of his career an extraordinary Giro took his second stage win and he's now going to well he's certain to take the the blue jersey the King of the Mountains jersey. He looked so good today you know, when, uh, when you and I stepped out of the Sala Stampa, the, the media center, it was just where the last climb was starting and we saw them, the group coming in with him leading. He looked on top of things, basically from the start of the stage, but especially on the last climb, he had everything under control. There have been some recriminations, Brian, about that final corner, the very fiddly last few hundred meters of the climb to the uh, Santuario di Castelmonte. A couple of riders got it badly wrong. Andrea Vendrame, who's kind of the home here, is from Conegliano, home, one of the homes of Prosecco. We didn't quite start from his hometown this morning, but it was pretty close in Marano Lagunare. He was, should have been the fastest rider in that group. He got it badly wrong as I said Attila Valter as well got it slightly wrong I've just been speaking to his agent um, Mattia Galli and Mattia was obviously quite upset that Attila didn't get the win that he's been searching for in this Giro d'Italia we'll hear from Attila later but I find it hard to believe that those guys hadn't been briefed in fact Vendrame said he had been briefed or he certainly had done the prep he'd done his homework he'd looked on VeloViewer which is the software that pretty much all the teams use to to see what the finishes are like and he felt that he was in the right position but on a finish like that you have to take the final corner in first position don't you really yeah, yeah I mean that w- the way I see it that was the finish line whomever got through that corner first had a clear go at that I mean it was so short from there it was one acceleration and it's one thing that Bauman looked like the strongest rider today but he was definitely also the smarter he, he'd done his homework he was placed perfectly where he needed to be I feel sorry for Vendrama because this was his possibility on more or less, as you say, home roads. But he got it wrong. I don't Honestly, I don't think he has anyone to blame but himself. And I'm, I'm sure he will. It'll, be, it'll take a while for him to, you know, get rid of the uh, amara nella boca, the, the bitterness of, of what the stage will be in his memories later on. Talking of amara nella boca, bitter, bitter taste in the mouth. I don't know if our aperitifs are imminent. They're going to be arriving shortly. I don't know what you've ordered for me, whether we've gone for a spritz, some kind of bitter, or whether it's beer tonight. Brian, the riders are still coming down. The team cars are still, well, making their way back to the buses. Without further ado, we should really go from Cividale and Friuli in the northeast of Italy to Not Watford in the south. I don't, I don't really know where Not Watford is, but it's somewhere in the south of England. Lionel, take it away.
Stage 19 was 178 kilometers of mostly up and down to Santuario di Castelmonte, featuring a brief incursion into Slovenia and the very difficult climb of Kolovrat with around 50 or so kilometers to go. There was a controversial five-man sprint finish and the GC battle was largely neutralised. There were a few flurries on the final climb, but that three-second gap between Richard Calapaz and Jai Hindley holds firm. Only two days to sort that out now, of course. Ineos Grenadiers lost Richie Port today. He was off the back fairly early on, uh, in difficulty, and pulled out of the race. The race was characterised by a 12-man break, and that split down on the Colivrat climb, with 52 kilometres to go, four men went clear. They were Kuhn Baumann, the current King of the Mountains and a stage winner at the end of the first week for Jumbo Visma, Alessandro Tonelli of Bardiani, Mauro Schmidt of Quickstep and Attila Valter of Groupama FDJ. Tonelli got dropped with around 47 kilometres to go, but got back on a couple of kilometres later. And Andrea Vendrame of AG2R, He'd been dropped from the break earlier on the climb, but he got back on on the descent and went straight past with an attack. And so those five came into the bottom of the final climb altogether, and there really wasn't much action on the way up. With three kilometres to go to the finish, they were all eyeing each other up, fanned across the road, no one really wanting to take too much of a risk. Bauman was the first to try his luck. Vandrame got distance, but scrapped to get back on. Tonelli went, then Attila Valta went. Once again, Vandrame was dropped and he got back on. And so we were left with this five-man sprint. And what a messy sprint it was. And what a crazy place to put the final corner. Uh, well, they didn't have much choice about where to put the road. The road is where it is. But 100 metres or so from the finish line meant that as the five riders came in, Schmidt was on the front. Bauman came round him and did seem to squeeze him against the barriers a bit. That forced Schmidt to hit the brakes and he went sort of straight on taking Vendrami and Walter with him. It meant that Bauman won, Schmidt recovered enough to take second and Tonelli was third but there were a few unhappy riders at the finish. Hard to say definitively whether or not Bauman impeded Schmidt. Schmidt was basically in a very difficult place to take such a tight corner right on the rail and well it's immaterial really because the race jury decided that the result should stand so Bauman took his second stage of this Giro d'Italia wraps up the King of the Mountains jersey behind Bora Hansgrohe had done a lot of work on the early climbs but to what effect because when Pavel Sivakov lifted the pace on the final climb it blew Bora apart and Jai Hindley was left on his own what we did learn was that Richard Carapaz, Jai Hindley and Mikkel Lander are the three strongest climbers in the race because every time there were accelerations either by Carapaz or Lander those three came to the fore but they all finished together and so there we are two more days to go more big mountains tomorrow still gassing on fueling not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter never again optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data actionable insights and personalized analytics we're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens, who sponsor the Cycling Podcast, all of our shows from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And Super Sapiens gives you real-time glucose data so you can feel better, perform stronger and recover faster. 
As you've probably heard earlier in the Giro, I've tried out the Super Sapien system. I'm getting ready to share my data with Christina Scrocher of the University of Verona to see what I can learn about my fueling habits. And this week, since I've got home, I've been monitoring my glucose levels as I've got back onto my bike after a couple of weeks away at the Giro. So I'm gathering even more data to see how I respond to fueling the types of food I eat and when I eat them. If you'd like to check out Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. Sì, no, eh, sapevo che ce n'era la curva, no, non lo nascondo, infatti ho preferito prendere l'esterna apposta per avere una rampa di lancio. Più well, Brian, I mentioned recriminations after the finish line. We heard there Andrea Vendrame talking in Italian, still after the finish line, seeing very upset, mainly with Mauro Schmidt for forcing him effectively into the barriers. He, Vendrame, seemed to think that it was not very correct what Schmidt had done I mean I've watched it again I think you've watched it again and he taught there Vendrame about taking the bend on the outside I just don't think there was any way to win from there no I I wondered about that when he when he said it as well and if anything it's a domino effect of Bowman getting it right and everyone else had to adjust their trajectory because of that and if you look I mean neither of you and I have, have raced at least not to my knowledge a lot of bike races but it, w- it wouldn't be, have been the winning position to go inside the barriers and it would put you at great risk for what exactly had happened. It just accelerated because of Bowman taking the ideal curve and making the winning move before the, uh, coming into that last corner. It's really interesting, isn't it, when a rider like Kern Bauman, who's not won a lot in his career, wins one race and then with the confidence and also obviously with the form that he he takes forward from that he goes and wins another one it reminds me a lot of Ben King a couple of years ago the American rider in La Vuelta España but we've seen it many times I've been going way back to I remember Eric Decker winning three stages in the Tour de France in the early noughties in you know circumstances that well most breakaway specialists would sort of take a whole career or many many years to recreate but it just shows you doesn't it what confidence can do for a rider and and in addition to that, Bauman, I'm kind of surprised we're discovering this on this Giro d'Italia, his finishing speed, because really, if you've got his climbing ability plus a bit of a kick at the end, I mean, that is gold dust to any World Tour team. Yeah, it is. He's 28, and this, you know, seeing a, a, a breakthrough, I mean, he's on one of the strongest teams in the world, but a team that didn't really start here with anything but exactly that ambition to, to win stages. And he spent significant amount of energy chasing that jersey, but he's just come out from the yeah into the last week really strong and still very hungry you know it wasn't just a defensive move today to try and and sweep up the whatever points there were to take that jersey when we come to Verona but he wanted to win this stage that was very obvious and it's a good lesson isn't it in teams regrouping and regrouping very well because Jumbo Visma I wouldn't say they came into this year with different objectives because I think they were quite realistic about where Tom Dumoulin was and where Tobias Foss were vis-a-vis their general classification ambitions well, they sort of let us know didn't they, they, they sort they, of they, did we shouldn't put, get our hopes up on their behalf they sort of did but we have seen over the years teams be very unsuccessful in reverting to a plan B and some teams do it very successfully and that's what Jumbo Visma have done because you know today well yesterday we saw Eduardo Affini come very close in a in an unusual role for him because he doesn't get that much latitude he's mainly a guy who works for his leaders but he was led off the leash yesterday almost got the stage win today he was also key in well in that breakaway getting so much time and effectively ending the hopes of the GC guys behind I mean any sense any sniff they might have had of contesting the stage win today um, that faded fairly early, didn't it? And it left Bauman the freedom to, 
well to play the brilliant tactical game that he did yeah I mean, it was two parts anyways the two for the price of one and this bike race has opened up that possibility on numerous times so if you are a strong rider coming into the third week today would be a, a perfect possibility i doubt that tomorrow will yeah i doubt and part of me hopes that tomorrow won't be a breakaway stage uh, it'll be a gc stage regardless but i would really like to see the gc guys fighting it out for the win of the stage and also for the Giro as such just on that theme of pivoting midway through a grand tour with your objectives I had an interesting conversation this morning with Matt Winston of DSM who talked about why time and Aronsman had lost time yesterday and it was because they were working for a sprint it was because they were working for Alberto Dainese but Aronsman has found himself almost by default not because he was going for it but he's found himself quite high up in the general classification going into yesterday's stage he was in 13th place overall 19 minutes down and okay he was a long way from 10th place to the top 10 which is a a fairly important sort of threshold Um, but it would have been a step forward in his career certainly to finish 12th 11th yet DSM had a plan and this is very characteristic of their approach and they stuck religiously to it and that plan yesterday was working for Dainese consequently Arrangement lost another couple of minutes but what do you think about this whole theme this notion of being flexible not being flexible uh, altering your objectives and being opportunistic in a way as Jumbo Visma have been but you probably would not see that happen with DSM because their goals are set well in advance well they also had an ambition I would say with but Roman Bardet that then, as, as you mentioned, never really crystallized. But it, it's meant two things the way that the teams have had to readjust here. For one thing that's been very significant is that the smaller teams, the wildcard teams, they have not been able to bring anything significant home from this race other than TV time. Because when those big teams have to readjust, when they send away really strong riders, as, as we've seen here, the smaller teams aren't just at that level and they will be most likely at this point they'll they'll leave this Giro fairly empty-handed I think it's a mark of a, of a good team a good team with a strong inner coherence good thinking by the management the various management groups that are here that they're actually able to motivate riders when you basically have to pull the pin uh, Simon Yates did come back and won a stage they've been somewhat active but they were they're one team that, that actually at least somehow it's not going to think back of this year as a complete catastrophe even if it wasn't at all what they were looking for Brian I'm just looking to my right and I'm seeing the team buses starting to leave the Trek buses the first out of the paddock and I'm slightly worried about whether it can manoeuvre around that roundabout because it's weighed down by so many cuddly wolves in the front windscreen that were that were gained as a result of Juan Pedro Lopez's stint in the Maglia Rosa and um, fortunately it has managed to exit the roundabout and they're on their way now to back to their hotel I guess near Udine this evening um Venrame, we said that he's from close to here, from Conegliano. This brings us to a bit of a theme that we explored at the start this morning, of riders being on home roads. The fact that it can be a bit of a double-edged sword, it brings pressure, it brings excitement, it brings expectation. We explored the theme as well at the start of the Giro in Hungary when all eyes and all spotlights were really turned on Attila Valta as the home hero. Now, Attila Valta was in the break today, as already mentioned, which contested the stage win. I spoke to him this morning about how difficult, how complicated, how 
emotionally taxing it's been having that start in Hungary and then having to sort of pick himself up after that. We also spoke to Alessandro De Marchi, who is very much the l'enfant du pays today. He was from Bouya, which he, which was on the route today. It's not his first experience of riding in Friuli at the Giro. And Brian, you also spoke to Doman Novak, who's been a key domestic for Mikhail Landa. He rides for Bahrain Victorious. And he was going, well, not exactly home, but he was certainly going to his homeland today on a stage that made a brief incursion into Slovenia. For you, this has been, well, started with a huge emotional high this year. Um, was there a bit of a come down afterwards and how has, it, how has it been in the last two and a half weeks to sort of recover from that? And I know you've had a big job to do for Arno a lot of the time. Yeah, I did. A, it was it was a emotional roller coaster. Uh, it was uh, something incredible in Hungary, and and of course after that, uh, if you haven't win, then it's then it's hard to to get the same level. So of course it was a was a bit uh, of, a, of a calm down after after Hungary. I did my best, and yeah, I, I was not feeling uh, incredible uh, this Giro. Uh, maybe I was peaking too early. I was feeling really strong in Tour of the Alps. I never find those legs here. Uh, the past few days was was getting better and better. I'm getting there. I had a good breakaway with uh, with with getting quite close to the front. Uh, still missed some power. So yeah, it's not too many things I can do. I just trying and and I do my best. What do you think the atmosphere has been like, or the the feeling about the Giro in Hungary in the last two weeks? Have you heard anything from friends, family? Has it been more followed than it ordinarily would have been? Yeah, I think so. Much more people is following now the race. Uh, as normally would uh, also last year with the with the pink jersey much much more people started to follow it so so it's it's really something i think in the in the country um, yeah they just they just watching they, they they wish for us for a good results for us three the hungarian riders but uh, the race doesn't get easier it, actually for me it's it's pretty much ha- harder than last year so uh, just because it started in hungary it doesn't mean uh, it's easier for me to win a stage uh, Actually, I think it's it's a bit harder because I have I feel much more pressure and uh, I feel the need to win and, and uh, you cannot win uh, if you are uh, really really focused too much on that. I just try to enjoy the race uh, the past uh, week and now I enjoy uh, much more with uh, without pressure. Alessandro, first I want want you to tell me what it was like last year when you had well you were out of the Giro and you were at home and the Giro was going to Friuli. How did you spend that day? That day, uh, actually, I was coming back home uh, from Firenze, from the hospital, by ambulance. And during the during the day, I was watching the the, the stage of um, of Grado from my from my phone. So it was uh, yes, being particularly hard. And well, you have had stages like this many times in Friuli now. Talk to me a bit about the pressure. Um, is it all is it all good? Is it all nice, or have there been times where it's been quite difficult to deal with? I must say that uh, it's been always a bit difficult to to deal with uh, because um, uh, you come here and you want to to enjoy uh, the people. You want to stop. Uh, you want to. I really would like to to stop and to have a just a minute. Uh, uh, with the, with the people really close to me, especially now in Buya, but also on the other side is uh, we are racing, and uh, and once you are inside the race, uh, it, it come out uh, always the the sense of uh, of the fighter. So 
it's really love and, and hate but um, I'm gonna try as I did before to to enjoy uh, the way I'm going to enjoy the I will decide on the moment yeah a special moment uh, because it's home people friends coming uh, family coming in his special feeling but yeah it's like stage like stage uh, we do how team decide and we try for the best well as we can hear in the interviews it goes both ways they are obviously immensely proud they there's family here when they're racing home roads there's fan clubs well there's basically fan clubs everywhere in Italy but especially where they're from but I think also a lot of riders are a little bit relieved when it's when it's over with so I mean we're in the last part of the race but if you know for the original first week Hungary or the earlier parts of southern Italy it takes a, it gives the riders some sort of stress also that they you know they really feel like they have to perform and a lot of them aren't, might not be in roles where they're, they're quite visible they're maybe workers I found it very interesting uh, what the Marquis said because he saw the race uh, as he mentions uh, in the ambulance going through his home region even when you spoke to him this morning you could you could still feel the emotion that, that, couldn't you yeah he really hasn't been able to leave that behind which I think is, is just shows how proud he is of where he's from Rosso di Buia, as he's famously known around these parts. He's got a wine label, Rosso di Buia, as well. I don't know if it's any good. We've never tried it. We should get him to bring us a case, but we we were quite we were quite hopeful, and I'm sure he was, of being in the break today. And in fact, when sort of 50 kilometers into the stage, we opened up our laptops to see who was in the break, and I was slightly surprised and and slightly disappointed that he wasn't there but of course as we've learned over this Giro and as we've learned time and time again over the years it's very very difficult and well just from speaking to Gianni Savio he reminds us pretty much every day it's pretty hard to get into breakaways particularly at this stage of the Giro d'Italia when teams are fighting over crumbs really aren't they and part of me thinks that Alessandro De Marchi possibly had a, a better time or a rider of his maturity, I think, has learned to live in the moment and to appreciate his surroundings and look around him. And perhaps without the stress of getting into a breakaway and being in the breakaway, um, he had the day that he hoped he would, or well, certainly last year. Shoot, shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. A couple of weeks ago, back in Sicily, we met with Jared Smith, one of the founders of MAP, our clothing partners, and I wanted to ask Jared how important it is to come to the races and see the trends in clothing and kit and equipment within the World Tour Peloton, but also absorb some of the style and culture of the country, Italy in particular, and in this case, and also how important that is in terms of planning for future collections and future trends when it comes to maps development over the next year, two years, three years and beyond. All in all, I was thinking a year ahead or two, like it's 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 not something that you try to do, you just you just go to bed at night and you're just thinking what's what's next, you know, what do we really want to do and coming to the Giro is really important. You just see the the, the, the people watching and you get up close with the teams and, and luckily we know some of the guys and we get to go up close and see the, the gear they're wearing and oh there's, there's a new glove they're using or some new fabrics and it is, there's a lot of inspiration around it and secondly we're really interested in sponsoring a team uh, just the timing and if we do it we'd love to be able to bring something different to the to cycling and if we were to sponsor a pro tour team 
we really want to be able to have some creative license over the design because that's what we're proud of and that's what we don't want to stick our name on the on a kit and look like a kit sponsor like a custom kit or something along those lines we are a brand we are a fashion brand for cycling so we would really love to be able to showcase our designs and our skills in that regard but then also it's not just picking the world's best team and we'll stick our logo on it we really want to partner with a team that um, yeah helps um, other nations and very um, creative with the design and open to us helping with the marketing and so yeah it's just wait until we have that right partnership um, we are looking at women's teams that could be a really good way to start so we, we've had conversations with a lot of the pro teams uh, <laughs> we do get asked a lot but it is a lot of money as well which is another thing to look at but it's not just the money for us it's the the manpower we, we feel like we need at least a team of people working on it and we wouldn't want to just do it half-assed so yeah just waiting for that day to come I suppose when we um, gel with that team and we're ready to go so Daniel what are you looking at right now well I'm seeing AG2R negotiate this roundabout slightly better than Andrea Venrame negotiate that well they're final not quite out of it yet are they <laughs> no no here they go I mean it's a bit of an oil tanker vibe to the way it's going around that bend they made it though they made it and Brian stop press hot off the press we've got news we've got a reaction from Mauro Schmidt haven't we yeah, th this reaction, I'm not sure how hot off it, the press it is because my guess is it's been set just after the finish line at the disappointment of not being able to contest the sprint for the stage victory. But he is not happy with the way Bowman led into uh, the final 100 meters of, uh, of the stage and he thinks he was cut off. He said it was not a correct sprint. Well, Brian, there were no complaints about the final corner, as far as we know, from the general classification riders, were there? But will there be any complaints tonight from the fans about yet another day that has ended in stalemate. Yes, setting up that fantastic, as we said, three-way karaoke for tomorrow on the Paso Ferraia and the Paso San Pellegrino, more of which later, more of, more of the weather later. We're going to talk about the weather as well. But as far as today was concerned, as a spectacle, I think we've been joined by a very... I'm oh, going to pause there because we've been joined by and yet another... We keep getting these illustrious guests. Matt White... Head Sports Director, Bike Exchange, Jayco. We're just talking about the fact that today, well, some fans will grumble again that it's finished locked in stalemate, locked in deadlock between Carapaz, Landa and Hindley. What do you make of it? What do you make of, well, what we've got ahead of us tomorrow as well? It's been brutal racing. That's what it's been. And I think we're seeing the, uh, the consequences of uh, 19 stages of very, very aggressive racing and probably the hottest Giro I can ever remember. Has one of these guys got something, Matt, that they haven't shown us yet? Because, you know, I was watching closely the sprint, and I think that's given us a few clues in the last few days, particularly about how good Jai Hindley is in this jury. He's always had a little bit of juice, a little bit of spunk left at the end of stages. But today, again, well, Carapaz looked the stronger guy coming over the line today. Difficult to judge, I know, but we're, just, we're trying desperately to identify signs that one of these guys is better than, than the other two. So far, we haven't seen it, that's for sure. Tomorrow is a big, big day. So if a small crack will turn into a very big one very quickly. I, th I think for me, the million-dollar question as well is, has Jai Hindley's time trolling improved since 2020? What uh, do you think? I think the gap at Tirana was 10 seconds, uh, you know, a short, basic time trial. Six but seconds as, in Hungary. Six seconds in Hungary. So it's, it's close. And as you know, last-stage time trials, it's probably just as much about who's got legs than who's the better 
specialists. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. But I think in 24 hours, we're probably going to know the winner of the Giro. Not that not wait till Sunday, I don't think. So, so Matt, I know you've got to jump off in a minute, but... As soon as you see me, t- t- your team bus, <laughs> tap you on the shoulder, I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> but, right, so imagine you're on the, the Ineos bus tomorrow morning. Would the message, would the briefing be different from if you were on the Bora bus tomorrow? Well, it depends on how their troops are. I think the big, I think the big one is uh, they've all they've both got guys who are tired. You know, obviously losing losing Richie Port today is a blow for tomorrow for Ineos. Uh, yeah, I didn't get too good a vision of the final climb there. I don't know how how good Bookman looked today. I know Kelderman was was again a bit, a bit iffy. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, both teams have numbers. How they can execute and use them tomorrow on maybe the toughest day of the Giro will be very interesting because we said we haven't seen a weakness in either guy. And uh, you know, I don't remember Carapaz having a, a, a bad day ever really. And you know, turn back to the Welter a year ago. If uh, Welter was two kilometres longer, maybe he, he would have won the Welter. So he's, he's definitely a man for the third week. Uh, and Jai's an up and coming GC guy who's has been there, done it before. So it's going to be an intriguing battle over the next 48 hours i think that buzz is going to appear any moment but it hasn't yet so i'm going to ask you two more questions any word on the grapevine about weather conditions tomorrow and potential shortening of the stage or any way in which the stage might be impacted and also have you got any marmalada fedaya stories from your career uh the weather there's a big cold front coming in through so i've looked for sunday it's going to be half the temperature it's going to be 15 degrees in verona guaranteed on sunday and potential for rain there Tomorrow, as you know, in the mountains, things can change very quickly, but for sure it won't be hot. Uh, how intense this, this front will be, I'm not sure. I certainly haven't heard of any, uh, any rumours of... Oh, there's lots of rumours, but any, any official, anything official changing the course, but it's the Giro. They will not change it if they, if they don't have to. They want a spectacular, and they'll get it regardless, I think. And Matt, the Marmalada, when I say those for that name, those... Three, four syllables, can't count. Um, what does it conjure up for you? Well, as a rider, I don't remember too much. I was suffering too much on it. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a brutal climb. It's a very, very brutal climb. And when you look up there and you can see that dead straight, you know, it's, it's one of the hardest climbs you, most people will ever do. And in, com- in conjunction with everything else the guys have got to deal with tomorrow, it's heavy, heavy day. And how did your boys get on today? Well, I know there was some news about Simon and his, the condition of his knee today, but what, any update that you can give us on, well, your team first today and, and Simon? No, I haven't had a good chance to catch up with the boys. Uh, Lucas, has, uh, Lucas has got some dental issues. Had to go to the dentist yesterday after is the stage. Is it state. true that the Giro is the only race in the world with a dentist, with an on-race dentist? That is not true. Uh, our, that, <laughs> That's a that myth shattered. Or, or, or if so, if so, if so, our do- our, we didn't use it because our doctor, our doctor organised a dentist for uh, for Lucas. He had to zip off there because of the crash that he had in Basque. Uh, he had a, a chipped tooth and uh, yeah, had to go see a dentist. But yeah, he's uh, he's getting through. He's got 48 hours of, to grovel his way through to the end there, and uh, he's doing a good job. Thanks, Matt. Nice one. No worries, guys. Where were we? Brian, where were we? I, I'm well. Where Matt White is at the moment, he's he's bounding across the street, over a roundabout, through some hedgerow, and um, just about. I think he's just about made it onto the bus. Has I think he? the the dedication. 
is waving here. The dedication with which he actually ran through, well, the, I think the bushes on the roundabout and came to join the cycling podcast, he says a lot. He is obviously a very important source for inside knowledge, both for cycling in general and for me about life. What a lovely person to get on the podcast. And it's not been an easy thing in this year to get any access at all, rightfully so. We've, uh, there's been riders exiting this race because of COVID. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's so good to see why. That's just that's where I'm coming from. Brian, I, I warned you on the car journey here to the team buses that I was going to ask you about the nature of suspense. And well, the fact there's been a lot of it on this Giro d'Italia. Um, and, and does that make it uh, an exciting Giro? Has it made it an exciting Giro? Is it going to be a memorable Giro when we look back in a few years' time? Is it a Giro that's held the interest of the masses? Several things to that. It, uh, ask, asking that question at this point in the race, there is, you, you, it's impossible to answer because the race will, will find, in my opinion, its climax tomorrow. So if we tomorrow have one of the like, historical showdown between two very close rivals, whatever we've seen before and whatever led up to that has, will, will justify that drama tomorrow. And when we went... Uh, Even up, in the annals of, you know, and the, the wine glass ratings of... Yeah, you, you and I famously disagreed about that. But they're only that close because of what happened leading into tomorrow. We spoke about that whilst driving here before we recorded if Carapaz had taken, let's say, 35 seconds today, it would have, it would have dulled the drama leading into tomorrow. It would have taken something away from that. Or In my opinion, yes, would it, it would. have set up some jeopardy yeah, and yeah, and set up a, a sort of pursuit match on the Marmolada tomorrow. Yeah, it, it probably would have dictated the tactics of Borahans Crow, and it would have dictated the position that obviously Jay Hindley would come into the stage with. But now we have the later. There's basically the, they're starting from scratch, but. They're bringing the fatigue. They're bringing everything else that, that they put into getting into that position, which is not a small feat. So I think, ask me tomorrow, and I will, I will make a verdict that will be very, very clear. But I have no reason to believe, seeing what I've seen so far, knowing those two riders and seeing how close they are. And I don't think anyone is bluffing or playing poker in this bike race. No one is trying to you know, save something at points where they could actually gain something. So I think I still believe, you know Mamulada better than I do. It's a mythical climb. If there will be a finale and a big dramatic surprise tomorrow, I, I, you wouldn't even rule that out because if if you're if you're in trouble in the last kilometers of that climb, you can lose minutes, minutes, and that could turn around the podium, even if uh, there's still a time trial to go. So I, I professionally and personally. I want to hold judgment before I see what's going on tomorrow. Well, Brian, I'm going to ask you for a verdict tomorrow, but of course tomorrow night it won't all be over because the suspense might be maintained. I mean, I don't think that Jai Hindley would be happy to go into the final time trial with his current deficit of a few seconds. I think Richard Carapaz might be relatively confident. if He, he, won't, be, he won't feel secure, but I think he would be relatively confident if he went into the final time trial a few seconds ahead. Mikel Lander would be out of the general classification battle if status quo remained tomorrow evening. Brian, this phenomenon though of 
incredibly close Grand Tours. It's something we've seen in the last few years. In 2020, all three Grand Tours were won by less than a minute. That's the only time that's ever happened. Um, only three Grand Tours since 2011 have been won by more than five minutes. Nibali's 2014 Tour, Contador's 2011 Gira, and Pogacar's 2021 Tour de France. I mean, they're not quite, or they haven't quite been as close as the, the closest ever Grand Tour, which was the 84 Vuelta. That was won by uh, Eric uh, Caritou by six seconds. Of course, the most famous Grand Tour of all was 1989 Tour de France, wasn't it? Which was won by Greg LeMond by eight seconds. I mean, there have been other years, 1989, in fact, all three Grand Tours that year were very close. Uh, Delgado won the Vuelta by 35 seconds. Fignon won the Giro by 1.15. But we, well, we've seen the, the number of kilometers of time trialing reduced by all of, all of the Grand Tours in the name of maintaining the suspense, really. We've well, that's, that's worked just perfectly then, hasn't it? We sometimes look at the past more generously than we look at the present. If you go back to the era of riders going into the third week with a significant lead, with a, with a real cushion of time margin to their rivals... Sometimes we will speak quite highly of those races. I'm not talking about Indurain here, but in other situations and in the Giro, I don't really, I, honestly, I, I don't really see the problem of them being that close. I think it's a real gift to the last stage mm. and potentially also to the stage in Verona. It depends on what you're looking for in, in a bike race. I'm looking for suspense right until the very end. And that's what we have. Well, we can give you that if you want. I mean, we can talk to I, a, I a really few of the teams. The right. I mean, we can have maximum suspense if you want. The riders can all come in together every single day if you want. No, no, no. That there's a nuance there that I don't think is is fair. If you if we to discuss this, which we obviously are, because there's been great racing. You there's just been there's just not been that much racing from the GC guys, and it's it there's an irony in the fact that the, that really the stage to. Torino has been probably the biggest GC battle so far. They've been sprinting to the line in some of the other stages. I find it impossible to imagine they'll be sprinting to the line tomorrow on the Marmolada. On suspense in general, Brian, I would contend that people find uncertainty un also unsettling. And when people want watch sport, they want to see one rider, one team, one athlete display their clear superiority in an almost Darwinian sense well, over, where were they, what were the, over Where another. were those people when Sky were like dominating well, all were, the drama out of... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, yes, but what are we really I would talking say, about here? You know, when we talk about classic Grand Tours, which have been very close, like the 89 um, Tour de France, it did seesaw. And I think one legitimate complaint, or well, complaints, maybe too strong a word, but I think observation about this Giro d'Italia is that it has so far lacked a defining exploit, which again, people find comforting to know that the final outcome of a race reflects the reality of the competition. And a single exploit, whether it's a, an attack in, in the mountains and a guy winning by a minute or two minutes or a crushing victory in a time trial, that does comfort people's belief that the best man the right man has won the race so far in this Giro and, and I think people like to know that one guy is superior ultimately in the end I th I think that that has been lacking so far in this Giro and you know I I was talking again to Mattia um, Attila Valter and Primoz Roglic's agent earlier and and I said to him I just find this Giro difficult to read and difficult to feel very strongly about, which is not to say that I think it's been a bad Giro on the, or the GC battle has been bad. I find it quite disorienting, though. And I'm struggling to remember a Giro or a Grand Tour like this when the, the parity, 
the equilibrium has been so emphatic. I know that's almost an oxymoron, but... For me, with something being difficult to read, difficult to predict... Oh, here we go. No, no. <laughs> Here's the philo- spot the philosophy graduate. No, no. Difficult to read, difficult to predict, uh, predict. There's nothing bad in that. That For me, there's nothing... Um, um, this is... This is not a computer game. This is not a, a pre-written manuscript about who's supposed to go to when, uh, attack when. Like if you want that, you can watch. I mean, I guess the old, in the olden days, six days races or, or or professional fake wrestling, if if that's what you want. I I want to see a drama that, that with a real build-up. You know, if you look at the how the modern novel, the modern crime novel is structured, what we like to see in in, in various works of art. Like there there is a real drama here. I just think we have to appreciate that it's being pushed to the very end for it to unfold. The Cycling Podcast at the 2022 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science and Sport. Science and Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science and Sport. You can get 25% off Science and Sport products at scienceandsport.com with the discount code SISCP25. We've been talking a bit about science and sports beta fuel and since I've got home and got back on my bike I've been using science and sports beta fuel to fuel my ride and specifically today because I went out in between breakfast and lunch a good few hours after I had breakfast and I was feeling a little bit of a rumble in my tummy but I didn't want to eat anything immediately prior to going out so I just took a couple of bidons with the beta fuel in and that just kept me topped up, kept the hunger feeling at bay while I was out doing a couple of hours on my bike today. So if you want to give Science in Sports products a try, go to scienceinsport.com and use the discount code SISCP25. Well, Brian, tomorrow we're going to see the, the mother of all karaoke competitions, as we've already prefaced it, as we've already described it. Before we get to that, I've just been whimsically jotting down, well, I jotted down uh, a list of the top 10 climb names on this Giro d'Italia. I've been quite taken by some of the beautiful, very, very lyrical climb names on this Giro d'Italia. That's certainly one, one department in which this Giro d'Italia has not disappointed. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna recite them now, reel them off now. See if you agree. Um, number in no particular order, in fact. But one on my list is Crozette di Monte Cosaro on stage ten. It was category four climb. Pilar les Fleurs showcasing the. Linguistic diversity of the Val d'Aosta, stage 15, that was category 1. The Passo di Croce Domini, stage 16, that was category 1. Portella Mandrazzi down in Sicily, stage 5, that was category 2. Stay, um, number 5 on my list, the Aeroporto Luigi Razza. <laughs> it was named after <laughs> the, a winner right the there. airport in Vibo Valentia. And Luigi Razza was a fascist journalist and politician. I can't believe that, that, oh, hasn't, that they haven't changed the name. Yeah, but that area is not, <laughs> unfortunately, down to a lot of change. Brian, Brian. Number 6 on my list, Blockhouse. We discussed that on the day itself. That was on stage 9, category 1. The, the wooden hut that it was named after. Le Scale di Primolano, the staircase of Primolano. We had that yesterday. That was stage 18, category 4. The Kolovrat in Slovenia, which we had today, stage 19, was category 1. The Passo di Tanamea, which we also had today. That was the pass that went over into Slovenia. Category 3, um, Tanamea, because Mea is a valley, is the sort of valley it straddles. And then I, I put the Paso Pordoi in stage 20, and that's the Chimacopi. But, I don't know about you, Brian, La Marmolada. It's a name, it's a mountain that has really stirred my emotions. I mean, not least, Brian, and we'll, we'll talk more about this rider later, but 
it, it sort of it it sentenced the Giro d'Italia of my hero Pavel Tonkov in 1998, and I suppose I should hate the Passoferraia and the Marmolada as most riders do, but it it holds a certain mystique for me because of what occurred there in 98 with Pantani dropping Tonkov. Tomorrow is if you you mentioned a lot of apart from Blockhouse and and then. Marmolada, a, a lot of relatively unknown climbs, at least to me. That airport climb was not on my, <laughs> on my radar. <laughs> the mythical airport Luigi Rasa Yeah, but when you look at the, tomorrow, I mean, you talked about those, you were isolating those three favorites for, for the final victory. Tomorrow, Paso San Pellegrino, Porto. Nothing to do with the water, should yeah. anyone wonder? Um, there's right. a San Pellegrino close to where I live, and it's probably at least as hard as to climb tomorrow, not, not, just not very famous. And Portoi and then Marmolada. And I think phonetically, Marmolada, it's, it sounds like trouble, doesn't it? It, it does. really sounds like a lot of pain, a place where, you know, and um, because you're not going to do it yourself, I'm, I'm going to mention the book that you wrote about these climbs. And, and then there's a passage in that book where it's referred to as the graveyard of careers of bike riders. And it, it, it will be as well tomorrow. It's just a question of some people whether they'll fall out of top 10, whether they'll fall out of a podium contention, or whether they'll have actually have to kiss their ambitions to the uh, the pink jersey goodbye. That's that's it's that type of climb really. It's it's a decisive climb. It's a, if it's all down to tomorrow's last climb, so be it because it couldn't happen a better place, a more important place for the defining the Dolomites where. Everything has happened. Everything has gone down in the most important Giro's, not just in our lifetime, but in Giro's past. Yes, Brian, talking about names, I mean, within the Marmolada climb, there are some other great sort of very evocative toponyms. Uh, Malga Chapela. Malga is like a, what is it, a milking shed for cows. And that is the sort of the spot where it gets really, really hard. Capanna Bill. Capanna is also a, a kind of a hut. But look out for these names tomorrow as well. Certainly if you're watching the Italian coverage, the commentators will be referring to those. Marmolada, uh, there's a bit of difference of opinion over where the name actually comes from. It could be the Latin marmo, which means marble, or it could also be from the Greek marmar, which means to sort of glisten, to sparkle. Um, there's a big glacier up there. And well, there's also a legend about uh, an old lady who went collecting hay or harvesting hay up there and she was buried under the glacier and that's still that's still told in those parts today but brian let's hear a little bit more about la marmolada from some of the riders who will be tackling it tomorrow and also well we said earlier in the giro that ciro scognamilia was alone here at the giro d'italia representing la gazetta dello sport today we're in the home region of the head of the gazetta's cycling department luigi gialanella he's friulano and he has taken us on a bit of a guided tour through the history of la marmolada luca gialanella i am the Chief of Cycling Desk at La Gazzetta dello Sport in Italy. We will climb the, the steepest, uh, the steepest uh, side of Marmolada from uh, Caprile. And uh, tomorrow there is uh, a length of 2,800 meters uh, at about 12% medium. That is the steepest part of the climb in this Giro. And above all, because the, 
the first part of the, of the climb is uh, all uphill but uh, without any, any bends. So uh, riders uh, can see the, the mountains in front of them, overlooking them, and uh, it's, very, it's very heavy. Before Marmolada, we will have the San Pellegrino, uh, San Pellegrino Pass from uh, the, 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 Venetian, the Venetian side of Falcade, and, uh, and Passo Pordoi, who is a Cimacopi, which is a Cimacopi, the highest peak in this Giro, and it will be a very, a very hard stage. Adesso. Attenzione che Pantani ha fatto un segnale, ha dato un segnale a tuo cugino, vale a dire a Conti. Allora, Potrebbe se... essere questo il momento dell'attacco. Andiamo eh. tutti quanti al giro a tifare Pozzo Vivo. Qui lo dico e qui lo grido. Viva, viva Pozzo Vivo! Yeah, I remember very good uh, when Pantani attacked there uh, on Capanna Bill Street. And it was a very impressive uh, stage for me that makes me maybe the, the, to start to, to, to cycling because before I was not a cycling at that time. And uh, later on, uh, on 2008, when I also uh, did this stage in the Giro, uh, I, I had very good performance, so I very, I very good, uh, I remember very good this, this climb, and I like it a lot. The first time it was in the middle of the, of the, of the climb, about 1,500 meters above sea level, and won uh, Michele Dancelli, who is not a climber. Second time, 2000, 2008, first, first arrival the, on the same point where we will have the, the arrival tomorrow, and uh, the winner was Emanuele Sella. And uh, on that day, Alberto Contador wore his first pink jersey and uh, took this pink jersey to the final arrival in Milan, 2008. My name's Christopher Jill Jensen and I ride for Team uh, Bike Exchange, Jayco. It's nice to sort of say you've done them. Um, but often if they're in the end of the race, then uh, they tend to be the easiest of the climbs for the Gruppettos, especially. Whereas uh, the, the lesser-known climbs at the beginning of the stages usually are the ones that, uh, that cause most grief for, for riders just trying to hang on. So uh, I could even be, uh, you know, it could be a sigh of relief once we do the, the marmalade climb because uh, things will be uh, done and dusted by then and uh, we'll be uh, hopefully a big group of lads that I can just sort of... Uh, cruise up it as best we can. Fedaya is a uh, Passo Fedaya is the geographical name of the of the place between two sides of the mountains. So as a Passo Pordoi and this is Passo Fedaya, but the mountain itself is called Marmolada. Alessandro Marchi, Israel Premier Tech. Actually the 2011 was the first uh, time I did Marmolada. And um, I had a special memory about that day because it was uh, really an epic day, more than what we have uh, during this Giro. And uh, it's a special climb because, uh, as I said, uh, it was my first Giro, an epic day, and I was really there enjoying the, 
the race and at the race and I, I, I think uh, everybody was really scared about the day, about the, the climb, about the, all the stage, but actually I have a, a beautiful memory about that day. Jos van Hem, the team Jumbo Visma. <laughs> well, it's, it's a nice climb to do on training. <laughs> and uh, I, I, well, all these climbs there are nice, really nice uh, climbs. But, uh, not for me as a, as, as a racer. For, for a tourist, it's nice. One thing about that climb is that there aren't many bends on it. Uh, certainly in the first half, it's very straight. You can see where you're going. Why does that make a climb harder? So, yeah, also a good question. Um, I think you have to... The, 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 the struggle with yourself gets even more and more, I think. Uh, the bends uh, are just like an, a pause, just a real short pause. Um, often, yeah, you get a little acceleration afterwards, after a, a hairpin. The wider the, the, the road, the, the more straight makes it more difficult, yeah. But, yeah, the, the, uh, pro probably because it, uh, it feels you... It feel, uh, makes you feel you go even slower than you actually do. Welcome all my track ticket radio. Yeah, I saw the profile yesterday. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was expecting it was harder because uh, I mean it was only it's only hard for like I think four, four, five kilometers in the end before it's quite okay. I mean a normal climb. So uh, yeah, I was quite happy with that. I was expecting like 10, 10 kilometers with the 10, 11 percent. So uh, it's a bit less hard than, 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 than what I was thinking. You have the um, a museum of the First World War around the Marmolada that was a, a, a mountain which divided the Italian and Austrian armies during the First World War, and uh, you can see uh, all galleries. Uh, and there is a museum, this uh, the highest European museum at around three three thousand meters. In 2018, there was the Vaia storm just in this area, and uh, uh, here weather changes uh, very, very, very rapidly during during the day. And uh, this this day tomorrow will be uh, an homage, uh, remembrance of the, the from the, from the Giro of what happened here in Marmolada and in this part of uh, of Veneto in the Tempesta Vaia 2018. Which really destroyed a great part of the, a great part of this area. Questo momento Pantani è la nuova maglia rossa. Bellissima notizia. Allora Guerini vince la tappa. Pantani. Well, Brian, do you know what I hope? I hope the weather doesn't meddle with things too much tomorrow. I hope it doesn't meddle too much with the race or with the TV coverage because, as we saw last year on the state of Cortina, won by Egan Bernal, it can complicate matters significantly, and I just hope we see all of the action tomorrow. And the forecast is not great. No, I agree with you about we wanting to see, we definitely want to see as much, and yeah, if not everything of that bike race tomorrow, because it'll be the showdown. But there's a part of me that doesn't regret the the looming thunder on the mountain. To to a, to a you're a dark heart. you've got a dark heart. There's actually a quote from a, a very famous Bob Dylan song called "Thunder on the Mountain." But I I don't really regret that. There, if it's going to be a showdown, and if it's going to be down to the last climb, let's just make it as hard and historic, like just as mad as possible. I don't want to see anyone crashing going in from down from the Pordoi, but I do want to see that the Marmolada really bring it, bring the best out of 
whomever is going to win this Giro. Brian, you predicted a few days ago, very astutely, I think, that Richie Port was going to be a key member of Richie Carapaz's team tomorrow, particularly tomorrow, and probably particularly on La Marmolada or the Fedaya. Ineos lost Richie Port today, and they're starting to look a little bit threadbare, although our friend and our audio diarist, Pavel Sivakov, is riding very well. Ben Tula is riding incredibly well for a Giro debutant, but are they now a little bit exposed? I know Bora didn't have the best day either, but they've also got riders like another of our audio diarists, Ben Zwiehoff, who I think is growing in this Giro. I think there's several things to be said about that. Uh, I was expecting, looking at how he was traveling so far in this Giro, which report would have been the most important rider next to Carapaz tomorrow. What we've seen and what we also saw today with the way Ineos approached the last climb today was with Sivakov. Once Sivakov pulls off, whomever will be, and I think that could potentially be him again tomorrow, once the last Ineos rider pulls off, it's down to Carapaz to take care of business. As Elvis's private jet was famously <laughs> named, <laughs> taking We've care had of business. Elvis, Dylan, who's coming next? Yeah. So the thing is, with with that situation going into tomorrow, if Carapaz looks over his shoulder and Sivakov has, has peeled off, if Brian Victorious is still sitting there with two or three guys ready to launch, when is he going to react? Right? Is he going to react to the first time Landa uh, does a, a, a real significant move? Or is he just going to watch Hindley? I, I doubt that Hindley will have a lot of help in the, in the final parts of tomorrow. But at the same time, I don't think Carapaz will either. And there, it still remains to be said that Carapaz is, is in the jersey. They will have to control things on Podoy if the deal already goes down at that point. So it's, it's definitely thrown a spanner in the wheel that Port has gone. And it's not making tomorrow any less interesting. I also don't like the sound of a stomach bug going around. Well, we, we only know of one individual in Yas Grenadiers who is suffering from stomach problems. But We heard from a colleague earlier today too, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Leonardo, who, who, Leonardo Piccione from... Who doesn't ride for Ineos, uh, as, no, as, as far as we know. <laughs> no, no, but it means there's something, there's something going around. Maybe it was a good thing that you and I didn't go to the team parking today. Brian, I alluded to Pavel Tonkov and his, from my point of view, very unfortunate, in fact, tragic demise... Um, or downfall on the Paso Fedaya in 1998. This brings us to this evening's Giro del Buffalo. We're going to go back to the 2017 Giro and Piancavallo, a mountain resort, very difficult climb, not too far from here. Now that day, I had the good fortune, well, the almost overwhelming good fortune to happen upon Pavel Tonkov, and I was with Richard at the time. Um, in the clip you're going to hear, Richard's going to describe me as not a millennial. I would like to specify um, in advance that I am actually a m- millennial, officially. Um, I should also say that talking of heroes, I completely forgot to mention yesterday that we had Oscar Freire in the press room and we were talking about him in the car today, didn't we? I think we, there's a consensus. We don't agree on that many things, but we agreed on the class of Oscar Freire and I sort of regretted a few days ago in our press conference, we were asked, or I was asked and Lionel was asked um, to name our top five riders of all time and um, I overlooked Oscar Freire, who I think would definitely be in there. Anyway, Brian, it's time for the Giro del Buffalo. This is an extract from the Grand Tour Diaries again, the audio book that we produced. And this is Richard talking about our encounter with Pavel Tonkov at Piancavallo in 2017. Il Giro del Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. Daniel loses it today. 
In the Piancavallo Ski Resort, we eat the press buffet in a large open bar area where TV screens show the stage. Daniel is very quiet and keeps glancing over his shoulder. He's distracted, preoccupied, troubled, I'd say. Eventually, leaning in, he whispers, Tonkov. What? Next table, Pavel Tonkov, childhood hero. The boyish Tonkov, instantly recognisable for his cheekbones, is sitting in jeans and trainers, man bags slung over his shoulder. He's 48, but looks about 18. A great advert for the diet of a 1990s professional cyclist. Ahem. Tonkov won the Giro in 1996, and it was the Giro perhaps because he mainly rode for Italian teams that showcases talent in his class. He's best known for his head-to-heads with Marco Pantani. They were a contrast in styles, Pantani swashbuckling and attacking in and out of the saddle, Tonkov always seated, grinding it out, but smooth as silk. Still, it is unusual for a millennial, as Daniel very nearly is, to favour Tonkov over Pantani. Then again, Daniel is unusual. I imagine that teenagers these days would be similarly smitten by Mikael Landa. Finally, at the third time of asking, the Basque wins a stage. In Bormio, he was mugged by Vincenzo Nibali, and in Ortizai, in almost identical fashion by TJ van Garderen. To be beaten in a two-up sprint by Nibali is fair enough. The shark knows how to race and how to win. I'm not saying that van Garderen doesn't. Okay, I am. But Landa made a right mess of that one. Today, not wanting to risk a third embarrassment, he attacks on the climb and wins alone at Piancavallo. His consistency and strength in this final week has many of us wondering how he'd have got on if he hadn't been caught in the crash 12 days ago on the stage to Blockhouse. So much for what-ifs. In the actual race for the pink jersey, de Mula suffers a setback, losing contact and conceding the Malia Rosa to Quintana. Finally balanced until now, it looks like the Giro might be tilting towards the Colombian. Well, Brian, that's just about it from us. We're still in Friuli this evening. We're staying just south of Udine, I believe. And we're very much hoping that tonight's meal is as good as last night's. Last night's meal was spectacular, Daniel. And there was some resistance from you and I. <laughs> oh, here I we go. No, I have, to, have I to have to say that. Because you thought, ah. Oh, until you live in Italy, there always has to be a polemica. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it, don't you? It's the, you thought I was going to take you to a fancy restaurant, white tablecloth, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my attention at all. I wanted <laughs> to take you. you, I actually invited you for dinner last night. I, I, I felt like now is, now is a good time to show Daniel some love after having disagreed about almost everything in the past 10 days. And it was, it was potentially beyond nice. We had fantastic food. We had a beautiful wine. The spirits were high. There was a huge table with what you described as a German book club that was and that's the loudest book club that I've ever heard but they were having a good time as well it was just a perfect felt like a an easygoing summer night with great pasta beautiful video romance uh, wine I had a great time Daniel yeah it was very enjoyable Brian I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stir the pot anymore um, I think we should conclude the podcast at this point it's been it's been a very lively one with a terrific fantastic cameo by Matt White um, we're doing quite well aren't we we're on a good run with the American ambassador yesterday Matt White this evening who knows who might drop in tomorrow Brian destiny will your head of recruitment you you need to you need to pull your finger out Brian for tomorrow's episode 
Brian, buonasera. Buonasera, Daniel. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Burnett.